has probably become a classic film to a very limited amount of people. Uh, one of the antagonists in the movie, The Princess Bride, his name is Vizzini, he's obsessed with his own intellect. And to him, anybody that's smarter than him is just downright inconceivable. He cannot fathom it. And in one of my favorite scenes, uh, the hero of the movie, Wesley, is under the guise of the red pirate Roberts, and he beats Vizzini in a battle of wits, and he saves the princess. Uh, the problem is the princess still thinks he's the dread pirate Roberts, and so at one point after he saves her, she accuses him of mocking her pain. Uh, in response, Wesley says probably my favorite quote of the movie, he says, life is pain, highness. Anyone who says differently is selling something. Now, I don't know if it's just my dark humor enjoying a cynical quote. Uh, I don't know if it's because sometimes I like to use humor to avoid difficult emotions, uh, but that always makes me chuckle a little bit. Uh, but the truth is, I don't think I really want that quote to be true. Uh, coming to grips with the reality of suffering, it's difficult for a lot of reasons, but I think one of the reasons, especially uh, we in Western kind of culture struggle with it, is the reality of suffering uh, it goes against and it confronts this idea that our comfort is king. And it goes against the idea that if you do everything right, you'll have a comfortable and easy life. But I want us to consider a few scriptures before we jump into 1 Peter 4 this morning. Uh, Acts 14.22 says, It's necessary to go through many hardships to enter into the kingdom of God. Romans 8.17 says, And if children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, this is in Romans 8, by the way, big uh, highlight chapter, we all love it, but he says, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may be also glorified with him. Philippians 1.29, the book of the Bible we consider the joy book, says, For it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. I think most of us would prefer these verses were in Scripture, for just to be honest. As a pastor, I, I wish they weren't there. I don't know if that's the right thing to say or not, but these are hard. This is a hard truth to wrestle with. We wish they weren't there, but to ignore this reality is to ignore, is to ignore a fundamental aspect of our faith. And that leads us to our theme that we're going to see unpacked in 1 Peter 4 this morning. That's very simply, suffering for Christ is the pathway to holiness. Suffering for Christ is the pathway to holiness. Last week we saw how suffering can lead to blessing, and oftentimes God uses those difficult lives, uh, seasons in life to take us to a better place. But this week what Peter's going to show us is that God actually wants to take that suffering and use it to help you to become more like Jesus. And so if you are physically able, I'd like to invite you to stand as we read a portion of our text this morning. Uh, we are working our way through the book of 1 Peter in a series called Thriving in Exile. Because suffering is a reality in our life, we want to know how to do it well. And the book of 1 Peter helps us know how our identity as strangers and exiles helps us know how we can navigate that suffering in a way that glorifies God. Uh, if you're a guest this morning, thanks so much for worshiping with us. Uh, you can take out your smartphone. If you're a guest or a regular attender, you can take out your smartphone, open up the camera app. You can scan the QR code in front of you. That will take you to fresnochurch.info. If for whatever reason you can't get the QR code to work, you can just go to fresnochurch.info on your phone. And if you're a guest this morning, you'll see right at the top, there's an image that says connection card. I'd encourage you to fill that out. Uh, this way we'll know that you are here with us today and we love to be able to reach out to you, see if we can pray with you or if there's any needs that we can help meet. Uh, if you are regular around here, you can also find the sermon notes 
on that page. Uh, I'd also encourage everybody to here to, at some point in the service, uh, go to fresnochurch.info and register for a Connection Group Bible study. This week, our groups are going to be resuming. So let me encourage everyone in attendance to go to fresnochurch.info, sign up for a Connection Group. Even if you've been in the same group for years, let me encourage you to jump on there today and fill that out so we can know what group you're planning on jumping in as we get ready to kick off another semester of groups. Well, let's read 1 Peter chapter number 4. We're going to work our way through the whole chapter this morning, but I'll read the first six verses to kind of start us off this morning. The Bible says, Therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh, and the flesh just means he was, he was a man, we believe that he was fully God, but also fully man, and while he was man here on earth, he suffered. Therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with this same understanding, because the one who suffers in the flesh is finished with sin. In order to live the remaining time in the flesh, no longer for humans' desires, but for God's will. For there has already been enough time spent doing what the Gentiles choose to do, carrying on in unrestrained behavior, evil desires, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and lawless idolatry. They're surprised that you don't join them in the same flood of wild living, and they slander you. They will give an account to the one who stands ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel is also preached to those who are now dead, so that although they might be judged in the flesh according to human standards, they might live in the spirit according to God's standards. Let's pray, and then we will look at a message entitled, Our Pathway to Holiness. Lord, we just thank you so much that you provided for us an example of how to navigate suffering. Lord, we thank you for the fact that you suffered for us. And Lord, I know this has been a really hard week for a lot of people. This has not been a banner week in our country. It's been one that's been filled with so much pain and hurt. And Lord, I know there's a lot of people carrying a lot of different burdens right now for a lot of different reasons. Um, so Lord, I pray that as we look into your word, your spirit would do what I cannot do, Lord. Uh, my words can just be very, very meaningless, but Lord, your spirit and your words are what brings life. And so I pray that the word that's given this morning would be, as chapter 4 encourages, would be your word, and that it would be done in your strength so that your people can be edified and equipped and armed with the understanding that suffering is the pathway to holiness. Lord, I pray that you would comfort those in here that are hurting May your grace be real in their lives. We ask this in your name. Amen. You may be seated. So right as we get started, Peter helps us understand the reason behind our suffering. That's our first thought this morning. As he begins chapter number four, he calls us once again to consider the suffering of Christ. That's why he says, therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh, since he walked on this earth, he was in the flesh, he was a full human being, he was also God, but he was also man, he knows what it means to suffer. Jesus understands suffering. Jesus understands pain. He understands being abandoned. He understands being betrayed, temptation, humiliation. Jesus understands injustice. Jesus understands what pain is. The Bible says he is a man acquainted with griefs and sorrows. It even calls him a man of sorrows. But it was through suffering that Christ absorbed the wrath of God for us. The suffering of Christ demonstrates how suffering is so integral to our faith. It was through suffering that Christ absorbed the wrath of God for us. It was through suffering that Christ bore our sin and purchased our forgiveness. It was through suffering that Christ provided for us a perfect righteousness that now we could get credit for. 
It was through suffering that Christ ultimately defeated sin and death. It was through suffering that Christ disarmed Satan. It was through Christ's suffering that will ultimately bring us home to God. I can't give you all the reasons why for your suffering this morning. Human nature and the depravity of sin and the compound effects of generational sin, it's too complex for me to give you this trite answer as to why we experience pain, why we experience suffering. But I can tell you this. Jesus promises that he will never waste your suffering. Jesus knows how to take suffering and bring about glory because suffering for Christ is the pathway to holiness. You have a Savior who not only feels your pain, he takes that pain and he uses it for glory. We can actually be confident in our suffering because of what uh, Peter says in verse 12. Look at uh, chapter 4, verses 12 through 14. He says, dear friends, you can just sense he has such a heart. He's trying to give them a vitamin that they don't want to swallow. But he's saying, dear friends, please understand this. Don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as something unusual were happening to you. This isn't unusual. Don't be surprised. He says, instead, rejoice. Rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ so that, you may so that you may also rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed. If you are ridiculed for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Walking through difficulties makes us feel so defeated, doesn't it? It's so easy to buy into the lie that if I were better, I wouldn't have to deal with this. But Peter actually tells us that we can rejoice in our suffering according to God's will, because that's what makes us like Jesus. That's why Peter tells us, don't be surprised when it happens. Suffering isn't strange. It isn't abnormal. It's not this once-in-a-lifetime experience that you might have to endure. Suffering is a regular tool on God's workbench of sanctification. And Peter says, because of that, we can rejoice when it happens. Now, I don't know about you, but I ain't there, church. Like, I've got a lot of growing to do before my default knee-jerk reaction to suffering is rejoicing. Usually, it's a pity party. Like, oh, woe is me, why me? You know, that's sometimes my default response. But Peter says, we can rejoice. Why? Why can Peter say that? Why can Peter say you can rejoice in your suffering? Because that means the God of the universe is working on you. The omnipotent, faithful creator of the universe is coming down and saying, you know what? I want to work on you. I want to make you more like Jesus so that your life can point other people to you. Just like through the suffering of Jesus made our restoration possible, he will use your suffering to make you more like him. I know I quote this verse a lot, but I love 2 Corinthians 4, 16 and 17. Therefore, we do not give up. Church, that should be our anthem. We don't have to give up. I know in your suffering you feel defeated and you feel tired and you want to quit, but the Apostle Paul comes along in 2 Corinthians and says, look it, we don't have to give up. Even though our outward person is being destroyed, even though you feel like your life is being wrecked, even though you feel like your life is being broken and you feel like it's not worth it to live a holy life because of the, the pain and the suffering that it brings, he says, even though your outward person is being destroyed, your inner person is being renewed day by day, Jesus is making you more like him for our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. Suffering is a regular tool on God's workbench of sanctification. Sometimes God allows us to go through difficulties as a way of pruning us. 
in the year 1863. One of my favorite preachers, I quote him a lot, Charles Spurgeon preached the message entitled Chastisement Now and Afterwards. And in his sermon, he used an illustration of his own trees to help us understand the result of pruning. He said the apricot tree at 2828 Hills Height Park was trimmed back so, so much, I wondered if the branches would ever grow back, let alone the leaves. But he said we ended up that next year having apricots coming out of our ears. Now, doesn't that just sound like something Spurgeon, the prince of preachers in 1863 in the Metropolitan Tabernacle, like, we had so much apricots, they were literally coming out of our ears. The point is, if God is leading you through a season of suffering, he's wanting to produce fruit in your life that will far outweigh the pain that you're experiencing now. You might be in so much pain right now, you wonder if your life will ever be the same. I'm not going to lie to you, it might not. But God is pruning things from your life so that you can grow in your holiness and you can produce fruit that you never would have been able to otherwise. Uh, around the end of 2018, all the way through 2019, I felt like all I did was funerals. Uh, if you were here a couple years ago, you, you remember that was a rough year for our church. And I just felt like I was doing funeral after funeral after funeral, doing my best to enter people's pain with them. And some of those people were dear friends. Um, we were, my wife and I, we were also walking through some very difficult situations with some dear friends, and it hurt. Um, that was the same year the roof of our house blew off. And so I'm just like, man, this is a, this is a bad 14-month stretch in the Minerva home. And as we were walking through that year, I can just remember a lot of pride and selfishness began to be revealed in my heart. I, I, I wasn't handling that pain the right way, and I started, looking through every, I started looking at everything through the lens of my wants and my desires and my preferences. And like an animal that got cornered that gets really self-defensive, that's how, that's how I became. Just this pride started coming and this selfishness just started manifesting itself in my own heart. And, and, and if you've been through a season of pain, you know how easy it is to get selfish like that. But the difficult truth is pain does not create selfishness. It just reveals it. My hurt wasn't what made me proud. My hurt just gave my pride a chance to express itself. God was using that difficult season to prune me. And then I can remember going into 2020, there was just like this low-grade annoyance. There was no joy. There was no peace. It didn't take much to, to get me to snap. There's just low-grade anger and annoyance that I was living with. And then COVID. I mean, come on. Can, can I catch a break? Uh, I was supposed to go to a conference last spring, but like everything else, it got canceled and moved online. And I can remember listening to a sermon by a pastor. He was preaching to pastors, and he was preaching on pride. And I can remember through that sermon, God just wrecked me, and he started showing me all the pride in my heart that I had been living with, and I didn't see it. I felt like I was justified in my annoyance and in my anger, and God just slowly and graciously through that message just started showing me the pride in my heart and my life and he started taking off those prideful lenses and I can remember after that sermon I literally got on the phone with people and I apologized and I said look I have been so proud these last few months I know I've been a pain in the rear to be around I'm sorry I called a couple friends and I said look this is what God's doing in my heart would you pray for me in our small group every week for prayer requests we write them down on a three by five card and we all swap them like every week man I'm writing them Pray that I grow in humility. Pray that I grow in humility. I am a proud son of a gun. Pray, pray that I grow in humility. 
God used a difficult season in my life to prune me so that I could be more like him. And through that, God taught me, look, Nick, you can trust me in your suffering. I know what's best for you. I'm your faithful creator. I know you. I know you. I can prune you. Let me take this difficult season and make you more like me. Like Spurgeon, we got to learn to say, I've learned to kiss the wave that struck me against the rock of ages. Following Christ means we follow him through pain and suffering. And we see it at the beginning of the chapter, Peter tells those who suffer they're finished with sin. Now, suffering does not produce sinless perfection. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is suffering will root out that sin. Suffering will root it out of your life. God will use it to prune you. Peter's point is if we say no to sin and we suffer as a result, that's an indicator that we're in Christ. We will always continue to have that wrestle. We will always continue to struggle with sin. Pastor Nick is not up here as somebody who's beaten the, the dragon of pride. Uh-uh. <laughs> I am somebody who still wrestles with that. But it's in that wrestling that Peter says that's an indicator that you are in Christ. That's an indicator that he's working on you. So you could take heart in that pain and in that difficulty as you wrestle through that. Suffering for Christ in that struggle is an indication that we have risen with Christ. Look at verse 14. He says, if you are ridiculed for the name of Christ, you are blessed. If you suffer for Jesus, you are blessed. He says, God's spirit is on you. Often when we're suffering, we feel abandoned by God. Like if I was God's child, surely this wouldn't happen. But Peter says, oh no, 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 no. He's so quick to remind us that suffering means God is actually with you. And he is working on you. God is working on you. The same God who spoke the universe into existence is saying, I want to make you more like my son so that you can bear fruit. God is conforming us into his image. We don't have to be ashamed, but we can glorify him. And we can actually walk in confidence that I am a son, I am a daughter of the king, and he's still working on me. Peter helps us understand the reason behind our suffering. It drives us to holiness. But then as he continues in chapter 4, he helps us by getting really practical and just unpacking what does it look like to live a holy life in the middle of our suffering, which leads us to our, our last thought this morning, and that is the endeavor through suffering. Suffering well does not mean we just sit idly by. I wish it did. <laughs> I wish when I was having a bad year I could just go on some retreat in this giant library with rooms full of books and nobody would ever talk to me and food would be brought to me and I could just be by myself and do nothing. But that's not, that's not biblically suffering well. And so Peter helps us understand how do we live for the glory of God in light of the reality, the difficult life we face. First of all, we are to endeavor in holy living. In verses 3 through 6, Peter calls us to no longer live for human passions but live for God. He's like, look, church, we've spent enough time living for the flesh. We've spent enough time living for the world. We've spent enough time living for these worldly passage, uh, passions. And he goes down the list. He says, we've already done enough of this, carrying on unrestrained behavior, evil desires, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, lawless idolatry. He's like, look, enough of all that. Let's live for God. And so part of living as a stranger in exile, part of living in a way that glorifies God in my suffering means I'm going to say no to sin and I'm going to say yes to holy living because that demonstrates to an unbelieving world that following Jesus is so worth it. And he, he, he's, he's up front. He warns us that, look, if you separate yourself from sin, the world ain't going to like it. And that might bring its own unique set of suffering. That's why later in the chapter he says, look, don't suffer for sinning in verse 15 and 16. 
<laughs> like, life is pain. You're going to suffer. So let's make sure we're suffering for righteousness. Let's make sure we're suffering for Jesus so that he can be glorified and we can experience his Holy Spirit working in us. Peter wants his readers to know that if you follow Christ, suffering's part of the deal. That's why Jesus said, pick up your cross and follow me. But compared to the suffering of the world, his yoke is easy and his burden is light, church. And so Peter wants us to know following Jesus is so eternally worth it. When we consider the lengths that Christ went to redeem us, when we consider, like verse one, or chapter 4, verse 1 starts, since Christ suffered in the flesh, when we consider all that he's done for us, we'll gladly say no to all this, all this other stuff. He saved us from having to follow the will of man. He saved us from the evils of the world. And he tells us in verse 17 and 18, judgment's coming. Judgment is coming. So don't let the world's opinion of you matter. The world's verdict concerning Christians is of little value. It doesn't matter. We don't have to worry about what the world thinks when we pursue holiness and turn away from sin because we're secure in Christ. God has guaranteed our security. No amount of suffering we face can take away from the reality that we have an eternal, incorruptible inheritance waiting for us. In verse 5, 17 and 18, Peter tells us all those who don't know Christ will have to stand and give an account for God. He says, that's why we preach the gospel. That's why we need to be serious about living a holy life so that we can demonstrate to the world what we say we believe is true. We preach the gospel so they don't have to be judged according to their righteousness. They can be judged according to Christ's righteousness. Peter tells us judgment is salvation is coming. Cling to your hope in Christ. We need to endeavor in our holy living. But then Peter says, I want you to endeavor in your thinking. Peter wants the truth that suffering is a pathway to holiness to be front and center of our minds. In verse 1, that's why he uses this military term. He says, arm yourselves with this understanding. Arm yourselves with this thinking. A soldier doesn't go into battle in just his pajamas. Like, no, he's ready. He's armed. He's got his gear. He's got his armor. He's got his weapon. And Peter says, I want you to arm yourself with this thinking. Arm yourself with this understanding. This word is fitting because the Christian life is such a fight, isn't it, church? And it's amazing, but so much of that battle takes place in our minds. That's why Peter says, arm yourselves with this thinking. That's why later on, I think it's in verse 12, he says, look, don't think it's strange. He's like, I don't want you to be blindsided when suffering comes. I want you to arm yourself with this thinking so that you can be ready to walk through suffering and holiness in a way that glorifies God and puts his majesty on display. That's why he says in verse 12, don't, don't be surprised. So much of this battle is in our minds and Peter's wanting us to be prepared. And then in verse 7, he says, part of how we do that is we're alert and sober-minded for what? For prayer. Author Juan Sanchez said, fear of the end can cause many to lose their heads. <laughs> because the end is near, Peter commands his readers to keep their heads, to be clear-minded, to be clear-headed. Verse 7, he says, the end of all things is near. I mean, Christians should be the most level-headed people on the planet. But as we continue to see, and I, as I personally have often demonstrated, it's often the farthest thing from the truth. The panic and fear that the world thrives on has sadly made its way into the church. But Peter, he's cutting through all that panic. And he's like, look, church, you don't have to lose your head. Yes, be sober-minded. Take, take it seriously. The end is coming. That's not a joke. That's not a cliche. 
Like, we don't need to go around and put wooden plywood signs over us and march with pickets and say the end is near. No, no, no. He says, look, just be, be sober about it, be level-headed, and pray. And pray. How do we cut through the anxiety that rises in our heart when we think about the end is near? How do we cut through the anxiety when we see all the horrible things that are taking place in our world? How do we cut through all that? On our knees in prayer. How do we be clear-headed? How do we be level-minded believers? How do we keep our head when everybody else around us is losing their cool? We pray. When you feel that anxiety rising up in your heart, give it to Jesus. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert, be sober-minded for prayer. As Christians, we should take these things to God. And when we take those things to God, it's amazing how he reminds us that, hey, look, I'm in control. I've got this. You don't need to panic. As Christians, the fact that the end is near means our exile is nearing its end. So we can have hope and we can rejoice. We can have a clear mindset. We can be endeavor in holy thinking. Next, Peter tells us in verse 8 to endeavor in our love. Verse 8, above all. That's a big two words. Above all. He says, maintain constant love for one another since love covers a multitude of sins. I don't know about you, but when I'm hurting, loving other people is, it feels impossible, doesn't it? It's easy when I'm hurting to get overly sensitive. And oftentimes when we're hurting and we're wrestling through our own sanctification, our temptation is we want to go around and nitpick everybody else's life. We, we think, oh, if, if I just point out all their faults, maybe that'll distract myself from, from, from my faults. But Peter tells us, no, 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 no. Above all. This, this, this is of, of utmost importance. Above everything else I'm saying, Peter says, maintain constant love for one another since love covers a multitude of sins. Don't go around looking to nitpick everybody else's life. He's like, love covers a multitude of sins. Remind yourself of how loved by Jesus you are and then express and extend and give that love to those around your life. Peter's quoting Proverbs ten twelve. It says, hatred uh, stirs up conflict, but love covers all offenses. Church, this doesn't mean we don't take sin seriously. What it means is we love people seriously. It doesn't mean we ignore sin. It just means we're gonna be serious about loving other people. And so Peter says, even in your pain, even in your suffering, I know you don't want to, I know it goes against human nature, but he says, above all, maintain a love. Love, church, endeavor in your love. And he says, endeavor in your service. We've preached a lot about hospitality here before. In the New Testament, hospitality was such a regular part of living out their faith. They didn't have Airbnb back then. And so when the Apostle Paul came to a city to plant a church to do the work of God, he needed saints, other people that believed to let him stay at their home. Hospitality was such a big part of it. Now put yourself in those Christians' shoes. Like, uh, this is a guy that was just murdering people for believing like I do. Now you want me to let him stay in my home? <laughs> Peter says, no, we should be hospitable to one another without complaining. Open up your home to the saints so that they can experience the love of Christ. Too often we view our homes as a retreat from the mission of God when Peter encourages us to use it as an outpost for the mission of God. And as we endeavor to grow in our hospitality, he also tells us to seek to serve others. 
Just like we have received grace from God, he says use that same grace to serve others. God has entrusted every one of us with a gift. Not so that we can put it up on a shelf and polish it like a trophy and say, look how gifted I am. No, he gave you that gift so you can serve other people. He gave you that gift so that you can be a blessing to other people in which when each member of the body uses the gift that God has given them, needs are met and the mission of God moves forward. So endeavor in your service. And lastly, we need to endeavor in God's strength. And this is, this is so vital. <laughs> if we don't do this in God's strength, everything I've just said becomes this legalistic list of things that we have to do. And when we're suffering and we're hurting, we don't want to do that, we'll, we'll, we'll burn out faster than a cheap match. So that's why Peter says, look, whatever your service is, make sure it's in God's strength. Endeavor in God's strength. It's always vital that we serve in God's strength, but when we're hurting, I think we're more aware of it because we realize, I can't do this. I have nothing to give. I'm empty. But when we, by faith, recognize that God made me for this moment, God gifted me for this moment, God didn't want any one of us to be born at any other point in history. God didn't want any one of us to have to go through any other circumstances than the one he's foreordained in his sovereignty for us. God made you for this moment. God made you to walk through this trial. This is what you were spiritually born for. God has made you for this, and he has gifted you for this moment. It's so easy to just think, oh man, if I, if I was in somebody else's shoes, or if I lived in a different period of time, or why do I have to be alive when all this stuff is going on in our country? No, church, God made us for this moment. He has gifted us for this moment, and he strengthens us for this moment. Yes, serving can be so exhausting, but we are not left to do it on our own. God says, look, at this is what I made you for. This is what I saved you for. So go out in the strength of God and serve others well. God has made us and gifted us so that we can make a difference in our world for the glory of God. And when we serve in God's strength, he gets all the credit and all the glory. To him be the glory forever and ever, Peter says. So in conclusion, let's look at verse 19. Last verse of chapter 4. He says, So then, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust themselves to a faithful creator while doing what is good. The ultimate question we need to ask ourselves in our pain is, do I trust God? And I know that almost sounds too simple. I would rather be able to stand up here and say some complicated things so that we could all just be like, well, that's so complicated, I can't do it, and then just go on our merry way. <laughs> but Peter lays it out pretty clear. So the question we have to wrestle with in my suffering is, do I trust God to get me through this suffering in a way that glorifies him? Do I trust that God, in his infinite wisdom, which I say I believe, knows what he's doing in this moment with my pain? Peter's telling us, you can trust God with your pain because he is faithful. He's your faithful creator. He not only knows your pain, he knows you. The question I have to ask myself is, do I trust that God can take my pain and lead me growth? Do I trust that God can see me through this in a way that brings him honor and glory and points others to the supremacy of Jesus? I know for me, I'm so thankful that God used that annoying 14 months of my life to prune, prune out a lot of pride and a lot of selfishness. And looking back on it, I don't, knowing about our miscarriage that we experienced at the end of last year, I, I don't know 
that if that would have happened two years earlier, I would have been able to serve my wife and my kids in the way that God would have wanted. Like, I'm so thankful God pruned a lot of that. And I'm not saying it's all gone. I'm not saying I did it perfectly. Like, ask my wife. She'll tell you all the ways I blow it on a regular basis. Like, right? Our life's an open book. Just ask. But I, I can say with confidence that had we walked through that two years ago, it would have been a lot uglier because I was so focused on myself. So church, what I've learned is I, 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 we, we can trust God. God knows what he's doing, and I don't know what's on the other side of your suffering. I don't know what's on the other side of your pain. I wish I could tell you this is exactly how God is going to use it, and it's all going to be okay. I don't know that. But I do know we can trust God. God will use suffering in your life to grow you in holiness so that when challenges come, you can walk through them like Jesus. Here's our takeaway. Suffering for Jesus makes us become like Jesus so that we can do what is good while we are suffering. God will use suffering in your life to grow you in holiness so that when challenges come, you can walk through them like Jesus. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I thank you for the hope that we have in our suffering. No other worldview, no other belief, no other religion gives us the hope that we as your children have in our pain and in our suffering. And Lord, we often don't know why, but we know what you want to do through it. And I pray that we as a church would be a church that is surrendered to that, that we would be a church that says, Lord, not our will, but your will be done. And I pray that as we surrender to whatever you have for our lives, we would grow in holiness and our lives would be a reflection of the supremacy of Jesus. And other people would come to know you as a result. We ask this in your name.